All right, let's get this hookup started. Um, who do we got, Emerson? Oh, wait, I I believe the person we got is very similar to uh, to Robert Miller. <laughs> it's my brother from another mother. Well, I, I will say this: I wore this jacket so I could look just like Emerson. <laughs> uh, we I were. Know, at I a, dress up for this stuff, man. Uh, we were. <laughs> This we were at a meeting. Well, I, I got the beard, I got the hair, and now I got the seersucker. We were at a meeting. There you go. <laughs> and uh, Emerson was like, "That guy, he's wearing a seersucker jacket, and he's not <laughs> from the south." Yeah, that's wrong, man. <laughs> Please tell us who's who's going to be on the show today. Yeah, hey, listen, uh, he could probably get away with a seersucker too. Uh, Byron Jamerson. Um, you know, Byron's one of those guys that has been around sleep such a long time and so many people can trace their origin, you know, becoming an RPSGT back to either him or somebody he trained. That's, that's how invasive, you know, his, his experience in this business has been is he, you know, he's a great teacher, great trainer, excellent man. I mean, I loved working with him and having him as a customer, and even more as a friend. So we're we're lucky to have him on today. Fantastic. Robert, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think about the word pioneer when I think about Byron. You know, when you think about yeah. all the way back to sort of the beginning. and But then, you know, his contribution has been sort of selfless also. If you think about the number of people that he's impacted as far as education and, uh, you know, all of the things he's done in the way of outreach to try to, to expand the field and and to make people who are a part of this better at what they do. Yeah. That's interesting. But you guys are on a way higher level than I, when I think of Byron, I think of safe sacks, but uh, we'll get to that on the show. <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get ready for the show. Excellent. Welcome everyone to another freaking episode. We're trying to keep it PG rated here of Sleep Tech Talk, the sleep podcast with your hosts and friends, Emerson Kerr, Robert Miller, and me, Dr. Gerald George Moneycarode. And we're here once again with another fabulous guest. But before we get started, want to tell each and every one of you, don't forget to smash that like button. Hit the thumbs up on your podcast, the stars, whatever, and don't forget to comment. And most importantly, don't forget to share it with all your friends out there. We have tons and tons and tons, thousands of sleep techs, and they all need to hear us because it's with you that we're able to grow. So we're looking forward to your shares. And with that, let me toss it over to Emerson. Emerson, why don't you go ahead and tell us what's going on today? All right. Thanks, Jerry. Um Another great episode, another great guest. Uh, today we have with us Byron Jamerson. Byron has the distinct honor of being uh, one of those guys who got his registry in 1990. So back when we were children, he was doing sleep. Um, you know, it's so fun to see the history here. Byron and I used to call him Byron as a, as a customer. And, you know, he, would, he managed a sleep lab at Flowers in Dothan, Alabama. And then when we connected, he was at Eliza Coffee in Florence and ran a great sleep lab there. Uh, great town if you ever get to visit it. Great music history. 
and uh, which, of course, speaks to one of uh, Byron's passions. He's a saxophone player. Excellent one at that. After a running sleep labs like the other three of us, he was a clinical specialist with Phillips Respironics. Did that for a few years, zigzagging the southeast, and then uh, took a break from the manufacturing side with Wellstar. Worked with our good friend Massey Arrington over there in Atlanta, and launched a, a program that I think we're going to touch on today the, about the sleep navigation uh, type role. And I, it'll be fun to hear a little bit about that history. Now Byron is at Knox Medical. Um, he and his beautiful wife uh, have a very neat family, especially a new little one in their in their family that uh, she's absolutely gorgeous. But um, Byron, we are so happy to have you here today. We're glad that you're with us, not on a sailboat somewhere out uh, competing, but I know you'd rather be there than here. But, you know, one of the things we love to ask our guests is how we got here. It's it's not only fun to hear, but it's also kind of instructive for our listeners to just understand how these sort of things come together. So with that, uh, great to have you, Byron. How did how did you find your way into sleep? Thanks, Emerson. It's uh, it's great to be here with you guys today. It, uh, it's like old times, really. But uh, um, my journey to sleep was much like many of the others who I have listened to on your podcast. That <laughs> um, it was a long and winding road, and almost an accident that I got there. As you mentioned, I I do play saxophone, and I was a music major in college, um, and originally right out of high school, I graduated high school in 1982. I got hired to play in the horn section for the Temptations reunion tour. And um, and so we practiced and rehearsed and got ready and we got out for our show. And and it was one of the opening nights and um, the Temptations were known for fighting and arguing. And they called them the fighting temps and they got into a fight and left and stiffed every last one of us who had been practicing for weeks with them and getting the show ready. So that was when I figured um, I might better try and make a living rather than just play. And uh, so I went back to school and got in at a hospital doing uh, working as an oxygen equipment tech while I was in respiratory school. And while I was doing that, the hospital opened a sleep program and they opened it in their neurology department and the neurology department had the EEG techs coming in and hooking up and then hired several of us for 50 bucks a night. This was big money back in the day just to come in and monitor. And so we had limited training, limited experience. And this was in late 1986. And so after three or four months of doing it on weekends, just to kind of fill in and help pay the bills, um, one night, one of the techs thought one was coming and the other one thought the other was coming and no one showed up to hook up the patient. And so I had been hanging around for a while. So I went ahead and hooked him up and ran the patient. And the next morning, the boss called and said, hey, who hooked up last night? And I said, well, I did. Nobody showed up. He said, think you can do it again? And that was my start in sleep medicine. He uh, He offered me a position not long after that. I did go on to training uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, and trained under Tim Fields uh, there, and I'm proud of that. He was a, a great instructor, and actually, the medical director there was Massey Arrington's father, and so he was the physician over my training, and so I've been around Massey for years and years as well. 
Well, you know, Byron, one of the things you're known for for years was doing the registry exam and doing the registry training. You know, touch on that just a moment. But, you know, as we transition over, part of one of the things you've really become passionate about is the CCSH. You're an instructor with that as well. Can you kind of take us a little bit on the journey of what you did then, how it's different from what you're doing now around the CCSH? Sure. Yeah. I um, uh, Not long after, in, in, in 1990, everybody always asked, it's registry number 458. And so um, now there's, what, over 20, 30,000 getting something like that. But uh, um, I became a, a, a board examiner when the, the exam was a three-part test. When I took it, it was five parts, but um, uh, it was a three-part test. So there was still a practical and I was a practical examiner for a number of years and, and got to meet many good friends, most of them who have been on this podcast as well, Marietta um, and just a, a bunch of the others. And so um, and that kind of, you know, I always had a, um, a passion for the education side of it. And really, Emerson, we were on this on the first Alabama board together and uh, worked together on education there primarily and. And so that kind of rolled into helping people prepare for that exam because so many people came in who were good techs. You could tell they were good techs, uh, but they'd get on a practical in front of a couple of examiners and they'd start locking up. I mean, I did the same thing. I walked into my practical and Peter McGregor was sitting there, registry number one. He was my examiner on the practical and I'm locked up like anything and just going, oh, geez, how do I perform in front of this guy? So um, we started doing some training myself and uh, a friend of mine, Robbie Williams, and we traveled the country and, and actually linked up more so with several state organizations, especially Indiana. And we would have the state organization pay us a flat fee and then they could charge whatever they wanted to charge for the board review course. And so it helped those state organizations raise funds as well. And that uh, went on for a number of years. Um, from there, I ended up leaving um, the clinical side, I guess you'd say, and moving on to Phillips. That was specifically um, what we talked about during my interview with Phillips as well. They said, do you think you can sell? And I said, no, if you want a sales guy, I'm not your guy because I'm, I'm not a hard sales personality. And matter of fact, if you come and try and hard sell me, I'm not buying your product. I just don't like the approach. And I said, but if you want someone who can teach them why it's the right product or how they need to look at something, I said, then I'm your guy for that because that's the, that's the approach I liked and that's the approach I wanted to take and ended up getting the job and um, taught uh, there in the clinical role for a number of years when the CCSH credential came out. And even though it did not help me whatsoever in my role at Phillips, uh, I wanted it because um, the education part of it and the patient education was something that we preached and was very important for a, a compliant or an adherent uh, CPAP patient, uh, much less just any good tech. You know, they, they needed to try and expand their career because if you watch anything about healthcare, it's all moving out of the hospital and into the home. Home sleep testing was doing that. And, and I mean, when, when I had my first child, we were in the hospital for three days. And now it's 
outpatient. You're discharged and, and out of there. Um, my daughter even had a, um, uh, HIE uh, event with her child with an abruption and she left the same day still. He was on an ambulance headed to Vanderbilt and she was out of the hospital with a, with a very, um, critical child. So, these things are just going to continue that we're going to move from hospital to home and the CCSH looking at that as far as the education side of it goes and looking as far as how they can help physicians as a practice extender were a couple of the things that I was particularly interested in and, uh, and went and got that, that credential as well. Hey, hey Byron, if you could talk a little bit more about how how you see the physician extender role when it comes to the CCSH. I really appreciate that. Sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And and it could be a, a physician practice extender or even, you know, in the DME side, I, I spoke on the AAST's um, uh, webinar about this in particular that, that many, it's kind of funny, many really good sleep physicians or physicians in general are just not very good businessmen in some ways. Um, and so they're looking for what can we bill? How much do we get? And that's it. Um, when if we look at efficiency and we look at instead of him spending an hour wasting a lot of time in a lot of ways with a patient, using someone who can talk with that patient, educate that patient on the front end, kind of get some prep, lay things out, almost, you know, not really a nurse practitioner role, um, but somewhat similar to uh, increasing that physician, uh, physician's efficiency in their uh, office. And the same thing for the DME side that um, many people think that DMEs make most of their money on setting up CPAPs. And that is absolutely false. They, they, they make their money when they uh, sell the masks and supplies down the road. And so getting that patient adherent and keeping them adherent is the most beneficial business model and both for physicians and for the DME side of that. And I think the CCSH with the particular knowledge that they're tested on, because there's a lot of outcomes things. I know that Laura um, spoke to you all about some of the remote monitoring um, and, and, and all of that is just right on that, uh, that if we can be good at looking at those things and good at preparing the uh, physician for the questions that the patient has, then it can easily pay for itself, even if you never bill a single code. Hey, Byron. Uh, first of all, I was going to wear my glasses so that the, the, the <laughs> audience might get us confused, um, you know, with the similar haircuts and, uh, and these full goatee beards that we got going on. But uh, no, thank you. I, I, I love the perspective. You, you've done this for a long time. Where do you see things sort of going in the future? I, I know that what you just said is, is part of it, but we'll, as diagnostics even continue to change and evolve and, you know, the, the ability to bring in AI to identify patients who are at risk and, and some of those types of things. And I think that the phenotyping that can occur for patients, you know, once we have true AI technology to, um, you know, help us to navigate patients into the right course of treatment for those patients that's probably going to be the best course of treatment. So what are you thinking as far as the, the future? Yeah, I, 
I think that the future is going to be more of the same as we've seen this movement toward the home. Um, but you also see the desire for more data. And that is where I think that, that the things you're talking about come in. And in my role with Knox, um, I'm a product specialist, which is a fancy word for saying I do most anything they ask me to do on a day-to-day basis. And so I might be in front of engineers one day with product development where they say, look at this, how quickly can you figure out how intuitive is it? And then the next day I'm helping develop our education, which is my primary role um, for our customers so that we can teach them how to use our products appropriately. Um, but if you don't know much about Knox, we've got a couple of devices that the type three, the T3 has been out for a very long time. Um, and I even used that in my clinical practice back in the day. But the A1 is our other uh, big product, and that's a full PSG uh, that you wear on your chest. And it's a flexible device. You can, you can wear it home ambulatory. Um, or you can walk into a lab and there's basically a Bluetooth receiver in the lab that receives the data. And so we call it sleep untethered, that, uh, that the, if the patient needs to get up and go to the bathroom, they get up and go to the bathroom. They don't have to call the tech to unplug them and give them a jack box and hang that around their neck and drop it in the toilet or any of the other things that we know happened in the sleep lab. Um, and so right now, of course, primarily this is being used in lab. Um, but as we see the reimbursement cuts that are continuing and the push to move as much of this to a more efficient business model, I think we're going to see more type two studies, which needs a lot of work. We are nowhere near um, where we need to be on that front because currently that, that type two G code is, is tracking to the 95800 code that many type three devices can sell. And so hooking someone up with a full PSG hookup and sending them home unattended and that getting the same reimbursement as they do for a watch pad on their finger um, is just not the real world. Um, If we're going to look for that greater data and still be efficient at doing it, um, then some work is going to have to be done on that reimbursement side. Um, But Knox has been very active on this. Um, there's the, the devices being used with what we call a, a SAS, a self-applied somnography system, where the patient can actually stick their own electrodes on. Um, it's a modified hookup. It's been used in several very large stroke study nationwide. It's being used at Kaiser Permanente. We had some reports from um, Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania that we presented at uh, SLEEP this year. Um, And then another one that I'll mention, Dr. Punjabi, which I know you guys all know, um, used it during the MAX study. It's a multi-center AIDS cohort study. And the big criticism has always been those EEG leads aren't going to stay on all night long. You know, they're going to come off. There's, you know, you're not going to have quality studies. It's going to be difficult. Um, And in that study, 943 patients, they did over a thousand studies uh, in that. They came out at a 90.2% good study rate. So um, very low failure rate. And the sensor that was the offending sensor the vast majority of the time was the oximeter. It wasn't the EEG electrode. And so uh, all of the concern about that, this study really showed that 10 to 20% greater chance of that oximeter being the problem than an EEG lead being the problem. So the technology is really getting there. 
Um, we know that insurance companies are pushing for this to go home, go home, go home. Um, it's still, you know, people always say, well, you're going to kill the sleep lab. I do not believe that. But if we look at the number of undiagnosed patients, there's still plenty out there. And plenty of them are still those high acuity patients that do need to come to the lab. And so if we can clear our beds and be more efficient with that, then once again, we go back to a better business model um, and not just better business model, a better care model, I should probably say, as far as taking care of these patients and uh, getting them diagnosed and getting them treated. Byron, uh, thank you so much, uh, but we're running out of time. I, was, I wanted to ask a few more questions regarding that, but uh, we are running out of time. Any, anything else that you want to hit really quickly before we close? Not too much that I can think of. It's, uh, it is nice to be here with you guys. We've got two good-looking guys, and the others, they kind of covered up with hair. But um, well, it's, it's nice to see <laughs> you fellas. Um, I am speaking some this fall, and uh, if uh, any, uh, one is down at the Louisiana um, program. I'm, I'm not doing the second CCSH course in October. They've got a couple of other people. Debbie Guerrero, I think, is doing that. Um, and then we'll be kind of wandering around uh, the world, I'm afraid, in the next little bit, uh, doing some talking and training. So, uh, but uh, good to be with you guys today, for sure. Well, Byron, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And um, we'll try to see if we can uh, put some notes about you in the, in the show notes where you're going to be and where people can catch you then. Okay, sounds good. All right. And with that, folks, we want to say thank you so much on behalf of all of us here at Sleep Tech Talk. Thank you for joining us, and don't forget to hit the like and the subscribe button. Don't forget to share it with the rest of your friends, all sleep techs out there. And with that, we want to say thank you, and lights on. All right, time for the post-study cows. Go, guys. What do you think? Hey, hey, you know what? He's one of my favorite guests, hands down, just because of his haircut. Hey, so, uh... you can't beat it. <laughs> You can't beat that. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. It, it is. It is. It's another example of a person who has committed themselves to the field. You know, Byron was able to walk through the different. I mean, holy smokes! He started off his career trying to become a musician, and you know, thank goodness that didn't work out. Didn't work out for him because sleep is is much better for it. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, when he told us the story about with being with the Temptations and. Wow. But, you know, as Emerson had said earlier, I mean, the number of people that he touched, and like you said, Robert, and totally selfless, it's just amazing to hear that. Unfortunately, yeah, you know, I, I called on him for years when he was my customer. And, you know, there was one thing that I always stood out about him, even back then, was his attention to detail. And I've seen that as, as a colleague in Phillips. And then, you know, again, as a customer with Wellstar and on to what he's doing with Knox now, his, he's, he's, he's got this incredible attention to detail. He cares passionately about this craft. And, you know, he's one of those guys when we all look back and think of someone who helped to move this thing forward dramatically, he's one of those guys that is, you know, at the, at the front of the pack, pushing the boulder forward. It's, he's an incredible person and we are so lucky to have him on today. And agree more. But uh, folks, that's all we have this time. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>